I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, that have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 30, which along with Psalm 32 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, July the 18th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our study in the books of First Samuel and Acts, and also in the Gospel according to Mark. We're following the, the life of David as we move through this series in the lectionary right now. We're looking at David on the run from Saul. And remember yesterday, David had come to a place called Nob, or Nob, which is just um, a little bit north and east of Jerusalem. You can see you, the, the, the point the Old Testament makes. Nobody's found the city of Nob, but, but it, it can be sort of triangulated based on different passages that talk about where it would, would have been. It was just beyond the Mount of Olives. You'd be able to see Jerusalem, which is on a hill, from the place called Nob. So that's roughly the area where this all takes place. And so David had gone there and, and had gone to the worship place there and had been given um, bread because he pretended to be on a mission sent by Saul on a mission from God. And he said that he, that he had to go in such haste that he didn't have any bread, he didn't have all the things that he needed. So they gave him the showbread, which had been in the holy place, and then also he needed a weapon, and so they gave him the sword of Goliath that he had captured in battle by defeating and destroying Goliath. And so he has this weapon, and now he has gone out from there and he's escaped to the cave of Adullam and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it they went down there to meet him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him sounds like a great band of men to start with right the people who are in distress and debt and bitter in soul those are the people that are surrounding David And so David's got to do something with these guys. I mean, that's what you're going to get. It's the sad thing, sad reality is, is that, that 20 years ago, or a little bit over now, when, when the, the Anglican mission in America was formed, what we, what we primarily gathered on the front end were a bunch of disaffected Episcopalians. And there, there's good and bad in that, right? I mean, you get people who, who are uh, on a mission of sorts because they've seen something wrong, and now they want to right that wrong. But, but disaffected people are a difficult people to discipline <laughs> and to make into a disciplined force of people because they're nursing grievances. And so David gets all these people who come to him who are all people who are nursing grievances of one sort or another. And it's a difficult thing to motivate those people to move forward. And 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 even though they're in distress and in debt and, and bitter in soul, they've actually, they're, they're being pulled out of something that they're familiar with and being moved into into the unfamiliar becomes a very difficult thing for people. There's this concept called liminality that applies here, and that is is that, that if you take somebody out of their comfort zone and put them somewhere else, for the first long period of time, they're going to try and recreate that comfort zone where they are. And then they're going to get way more uncomfortable because they don't have the resources to do that. And so then it's going to become more and more difficult. And, and so the, until you embrace 
the new situation, it's a very difficult thing as a leader to lead people um, through difficult times where, where they're taken out of those comfort zones, the things that had, they had previously enjoyed are no longer available to them in spite of the fact that they saw those things as corrupted. They still long for them in the same way that you see with the Israelites coming out of Egypt and saying, ah, oh, it was so much better there. We had so much stuff because there's always this sentimentalized um, under, rem, reminiscence of what really was. And so David's got to deal with that as he becomes the commander over them. And there's about 400 men. And then he goes from there to Moab. He goes into the, to the country of Moab and he says to the king, let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. He, he's going to provide a place for them. And then, so he leaves them with the king there and then he goes to the stronghold in the cave of Adullam again. And the prophet Gad then speaks to David and says, don't remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. Stop living in fear, David. Go back home. Go back to Judah. That's where you belong. That's where God can do things. And so he did. And he went into the forest of Hereth. And then Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. And he was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. And he says, Here now, people of Benjamin... This is his, his tribe. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? What do you mean, Saul? What do you mean you, you all have conspired against me? You know, he, he's got some weird belief that, that he is, he's just paranoid. He believes that his own tribe has conspired against him here in this thing, and he's accusing those who are closest to him. And then he says, no one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. So he, so he says, my son and now my tribe have all betrayed me. Those people that I ought to be able to trust more than anybody else in the world have betrayed me in this matter. They assume that jo they knew that Jonathan had done that. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. And then answered that guy that I mentioned yesterday, Doeg the Edomite. He said, I saw the son of Jesse come into Nob to Abimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So you get this, this Edomite who was a descendant of Esau, the brother of Jacob, the, the, the founder of the nation of Israel, who comes and tells him this. And so, so now Saul's going to ask the priest to come from Nob and give an accounting of themselves because they, he believes that they know what's going on too and so he calls for the priest Ahimelech to come and he comes and, and he says why have you conspired against me you and the son of Jesse and that you've given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he's risen up against me to lie in wait at this very day and, and, and they're saying wait a minute there's no more faithful guy in your kingdom than David what are you talking about you, you've honored him you've made him the captain of your bodyguard this isn't the first time that, that he's come to us on your behalf and we've inquired of God for him. Don't impute anything to his servant or to the, all the house of my father for the, your servants know nothing of this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole father's house. He's going to wipe out the priesthood from Nob. He turns around and he tells his guards to do it. And they said, uh -uh, no, 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 we're not killing the priests. 
nope, that's not going to happen because they're their priests. But then Doeg, he turns to Doeg and says, you turn and strike the priest, and he's happy to do it because he wants to curry favor with Saul, and he doesn't care about this Israelite priesthood. That's unimportant to him. And so he put 85 men to death that day, but one of them got away. His name is Abiathar. He escapes and he gets to David and he tells David what's happened. And David said, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I saw him. I knew this was going to happen. I've occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. It's my fault. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you'll be in safekeeping. So David's promising him. He said, look, this is all my fault. And David's on the run, and he's causing problems like this. It's David knows. It's true. It's his fault. He exposed those priests that day because he persisted in getting the bread and getting the sword while Doeg the Edomite was there. And he says, I knew it. I knew it when I saw him. I knew how this was going to end. And so Doeg is willing to do this because he has no investment in that. His investment is in himself. And he believes that Saul's going to continue to be the king. And Saul's already accusing those people closest to him of conspiring against him. And so now he finds his way in to get to Saul. He'll do what they won't do. He's going to prove his loyalty to Saul. And it has nothing to do with loyalty to Saul. It has to do with um, loyalty to himself and his own greed and his own desire to be somebody. In this... um, gospel passage today jesus goes home and the crowds continue to gather around him and 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 this family hears about it he couldn't even eat because they they wouldn't even make the time to eat because people kept pressing against him and we see this a couple of different times we see it in the story of jesus and the samaritan woman at the well when when they come back the disciples do with food and jesus says i don't need anything to eat it's i I eat what my father gives me i'm i'm full because of his encounter with this woman, that 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 itself has become sustenance for him. And so when he's doing this work, then it becomes difficult for him to eat. And that's the reason when they go out and he has to feed the 5,000 and the 4,000, it's because they're out in a desert place and there's no food there. And it's time for the meat. He'll have compassion on people and feed them in these places. But the work of God demands so much of us if we're willing to give of our time and our resources then then literally ministry will take everything and that's you know not always a healthy thing for us and so here the family says he's out of his mind he's not eating he's not drinking he's not taking care of himself he's he's only doing these things for other people there's something crazy going on here and then the scribes come down and so they say he's out of his mind the family does and then the scribes come down from jerusalem and they're saying he's possessed by beelzebul the lord of the flies satan and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons oh so he has this power, but the power comes from somewhere else. They're, they're admitting that there's power to cast out demons, but what they're saying is the power comes from a demonic source, not, not a godly source, not a holy source. And he looks at him and he says, this doesn't make any sense. How does Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against himself, the kingdom can't stand. Some sort of civil war, is that what you're trying to propose here? If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And these are exactly the quotes that come from Lincoln. At the time of the Civil War, These are the, this is the passage that he goes to to say this is a disaster. So if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he can't stand but it's coming to an end. Hey, don't worry about it if that's what's going to go on. 
But no, that's not what's going on. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. So Jesus has got to bind the strong man before he can deal with these other things. And so, no, he's coming against Satan. He's not on Satan's side. He's got to deal with that first. And, and then he goes on to say, I'll tell you what, I'll, every sin will be forgiven the children of men. Whatever blasphemies they utter, whatever they say about me, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. They were attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That's the blasphemy Jesus is talking about. That's the unpardonable sin. This is a, a, the love of the Trinity on display here. Because Jesus says, you can say anything you want against me, but you'd better not say anything against the Holy Spirit. It's the love of the Trinity that's, that's evident here. And it raises the Holy Spirit to the, to our, in our understanding into that level of the Trinity. This is where it begins to be clear that there's a separate person called Holy Spirit as opposed to just something God sends on people. There's something greater here about that. And so his mother and brothers came, and they called him, and the crowd said, your mother and brothers are here. And he said, who are the, Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? It's the people who know the will of God and does it. So he is incorporating us into his family. And we have to have that same attitude towards family as well. Not that we have to be able to be willing to kick our family to the curb, but that we need to incorporate everybody into it. We need to consider ourselves more of a family. We need to not consider ourselves separate from one another because that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, no, 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 I'm counting you all as family. And, and that's exactly the way Paul begins this proclamation here, or begins the rest of the proclamation here in the uh, in, in Pisidian Antioch, in the synagogue. He says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, the proselytes. To us has been sent the message of salvation. And then he goes on with the gospel proclamation. Those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And then they found, even though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And then he says he appeared for a while to many witnesses in that same time. And so we're giving you the good news that was promised to the fathers, fulfilled by raising Jesus. And then he goes on to preach that and said, he, he ties it in with David, because in the Psalm it says, you'll not let your Holy One see corruption. And what he's saying is, clearly that isn't David. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with the fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. He said, so, so he's greater than, than David. And when David wrote that psalm, he wasn't speaking of himself. He was speaking of the one who was to come, who we know now is Jesus. And he says, let it, let it be now known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. There's no longer a need for a day of atonement. That day has come. That day came when Jesus became the scapegoat, became the one who took on sin and then went. And so the, he, he says, beware, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your day, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Paul said, don't be those people. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them again the next Sabbath. 
and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And, and so it's an exodus movement, God calling his people out in the same way that he took his disciples out yesterday in that gospel lesson. He took them out of the crowd and made them disciples. Here, Paul now is taking new disciples of Jesus out of the synagogue. These people who are coming and they're leaving them. And they're leaving the synagogue and they're following Paul and Barnabas because of the message of the gospel. They want more and more of that truth. It's important that we be willing always to follow after truth, to chase hard after it, and to devote ourselves to that truth. It's important for the church to be devoted to the truth of the proclamation of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. It's important that we maintain the integrity of the gospel, that we maintain uh, the scandal of particularity, which says there's only one way. It's important that we do that. He has saved us. He has given us life. He has given us hope. He has given us everything that we have. Let us not fear anything or anyone. Let us always hold to him and expect that the power of the Holy Spirit will work whenever we make proclamation of that truth. Let us not fear. Let us proclaim him at all times and in all places.